0: Welcome to Lamb of God podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. By the Kansas City Chiefs, and you saw a Iowa caucus that really wasn't a caucus. We didn't know until the end of the week. It's still not sure who won, entirely sure who won. And you saw a, um, a State of the Union address, um, uh, bold and powerful, but at the same time. Uh, uh, a lot of div- division and upset feelings and things like that and tearing of documents <laughs> and then the uh, next day you saw a vote on impeachment um, and then the next day fallout from all those events and uh, and then we are all concerned throughout the world about the Coronado virus and the effect that it's having in China and it spread, and those we need to pray for, and the sadness of knowing that the doctor who actually discovered the disease has now passed away from the disease. And um, uh, summary: the Chinese are reporting. Sa- what was it we were discussing this morning? Seven hundred, but yeah, but some people are. Um, there are some media, re- uh, social media reports that it could be high, as high as three thousand. Um and the shortages and the things that that's causing in the people that it's hurting. And so we live in a world, you know, when you read these things and all this chaos, and uh, it, it reads um, like the book of Revelation in many ways. Nations are uh, striving against one another, uh, hostilities, especially toward Israel in the Middle East, uh, turmoil and polarization in our own country. And sometimes it's... Um, it can be worrisome, it can become a burden, you know, in your own heart. And, uh, and that's one reason why I wanted us to pray this morning, to 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 lift to allow the Holy Spirit to lift some of these burdens from my shoulders and cause cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Um, we don't have much time, but I wanted to just look at uh, calling it the upside-down kingdom. If those of you saw the Stranger Things, they've made the word upside-down very popular. And uh, But there is an upside down to all this. Uh, what you look at um, in the world of power of governments, uh, the privilege of people, the manipulation of wealth, um, the celebrity, and you would think that, that if you don't have that, you don't have anything, you don't have a life. You can't have an impact you can just feel overwhelmed by the amount of information that's coming for you and how can you even change anything in the last uh, last week this week and continue weeks the the gospel readings and the sermon on the mount and so i just wanted to dip into it just a little bit and make sure we don't uh miss that because it's considered the greatest sermon in human slash divine history okay There's been dozens of different interpretations and ways that folks have looked at the sermon and ways that they have applied it uh, in their communities and in their lives. But one of the things I want is to make sure we get what the sermon is about and why it makes everything upside down. Why us as everyday people can know that um, we can be in communion with the King and we can have an intimate ongoing relationship with Him and that what we do matters and that we're not some insignificant little person that just has a Twitter account. We are uh, loved, treasured, uh, and honored in Christ, favored by Him, giving His grace, elevated in the kingdom, and that the standards that the Lord uses for valuing people is entirely different than the standards of the world that's why we call it upside down it's a completely upside down way of looking at the world and so what jesus is doing is he in verse 1 of chapter 5 of matthew when he saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside matthew is not saying that phrase by accident if you're jewish and you're of hebrew background when you think mountainside and you see a teacher who's deliberately making an effort to be able to teach there not just because uh they didn't have amplification, and they didn't have a microphone, and you wanted to be heard better. But when you see going up on a mountainside like that, and you know, a phrasing in a book like this, it's for you to make the connection between Moses, the Ten Commandments, and Mount Sinai. Okay, it's a linking. In fact, I'm bringing a wonderful book by Patrick Schreiner called Matthew, uh, um, Scribe and Disciple, and it's a beautiful book, and that he's showing how Matthew is taking the life of jesus and painting a portrait and he's painting a portrait and one of the things he's painting is that jesus is better than moses and jesus is fulfilling all that Moses intended he had hoped but in his flaws and in israel's failure they were not able to achieve but christ has done this work of saving faith you can see the pattern as he begins with um, leaving going to egypt coming out of egypt Then when he comes out of Egypt, he's tempted in the wilderness. and He's tempted with the wilderness, and he's uh, blessed of the Spirit. You see the same pattern in the life of Israel, but they failed in the temptation, but Jesus succeeds and overcomes the evil one in the wilderness and then goes forth and sees kingdom victory. And so now what Jesus is doing, he's now going to explain the Ten Commandments and what they really were intended to be and what they're intended to mean, okay? This is not a set of new rules to try to keep in order to earn your acceptance and approval of God. That's not what the Ten Commandments were ever meant to be, okay? The Ten Commandments were given to a people to privilege them that they might be a special, unique people, a peculiar people with whom the Lord could operate through and bring a light to the world. They didn't earn their salvation by keeping the commandments. Their salvation was received by grace, God delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea before he ever gave them any instructions. It was their relationship with Him was purely out of grace. And He establishes this covenant with them that He will love them forever. And but to enjoy the full benefits of the covenant they need to walk in a certain way that reflects His character. And so that's part of what the Ten Commandments is about in Exodus. It's established to them what it look what God is like and what that and and if they want to reflect his life and his person, that's why they will live. The commandments as they six hundred and eighteen commandments throughout the Old Testament are simply explanations, further explanations of the ten commandments. Now in Hebrew those commandments are one word. It's not a sentence, it's one word. So some commentators may hear them as a new book out. That's getting a lot of praise called the ten words and what they mean is if you look at it in Hebrew, you just see ten words Okay, is that? Do not commit murder so to speak. There's a suffix that means not and there's a prefix that means do and then there's the main verb That means murder and it's all one word Okay, and our in English. It's translated a sentence So it's in its sense there are ten words, but over the centuries these ten words have been distorted by people and misused by people. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to hear Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Okay? What he's correcting, you have heard it said, is the interpretation that's been developed over centuries that's been wrong of the Ten Commandments and how they've been applied and how have been used. And then what he's going to say, I say to you, I'm the creator, I'm the one who gave them. Okay? My father gave these, we're acting one we gave them to moses i know what they mean and i'm going to reapply these to your heart and life okay so the the next thing you see is his disciples came to him these are as he stood on the mountain, he's teaching it's to paint a scene to you as moses would be teaching the ten commandments and giving those to the to the people of Israel, he's saying "There's this, uh, G- uh, Jesus is making this same scene. He has disciples, a new people, who's being rallied around him in the kingdom, and he's teaching them about what it means to live a kingdom life, what it means to live with him as your king, to live with these new priorities. And I just want to just take a few minutes and look at just verse 3. Okay? And this is Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt and they know it. Blessed are those who are at the end of themselves and they can't go on. Blessed are those who are at the end of the rope. Basically, blessed are those who know their sin is so great and their life is so utterly destroyed they need help. They need a way out. They're trapped in bondage. Blessed are those who know they need a changed heart. To use phrasing from the book of John, blessed are those who know they need to be born from above. Blessed are those who recognize there's a wickedness in them, that if they continue as they are, they're going to destroy their life and everyone around them. Blessed are those who've come to the end of themselves. Notice the the sermon on the mount which is a fresh interpretation of the ten commandments begins at a place of brokenness it begins at a place of inadequacy it begins at a place of acknowledging that i can't live the christian life i can't keep these commands i need help i can't live the christian life in my own power poor in spirit it means to acknowledge your complete and utter bankruptcy before god I'll say it again, poor in spirit means to acknowledge your complete and utter bankruptcy before God. So before you ever look at the rest of the sermon for the next several chapters, I don't know about you, but when I read this, as I first, when I first became a Christian, I read this and said, this is impossible. It's impossible to live this. In fact, it's unreasonable to live this. How can you ever do this? And in fact, there's been teaching in certain traditional circles that that's this is just the ideal that we shoot for. It's not even possible in this life. Okay. But when you recognize, you begin at the beginning, and you recognize that it all starts here, this one place. Blessed are those who recognized their complete bankruptcy before God, and they need Him desperately. They need forgiveness of sin. They need power to overcome the sin they're trapped in. They need to be loved and and healed from the pain that they've experienced, the emotional pain they've experienced. They may even be poor in spirit because they're poor. The way Luke words this phrasing in the Sermon on the Plain, similar sermon, Sermon on the Plain, he drops it in spirit and just says poor. The poor often suffer greed, great the circumstances i live in create spiritual poverty for them so we begin there in this awesome sermon that's going to capture our hearts and it's going to demand things from our hearts we don't know that we're capable of but it all begins in recognizing you're utterly needy before god so what's the answer what's the lord going to do it's in that simple next phrase for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you've reached the end of yourself, the Lord promises to you that he will reveal to you the fullness of the King of Kings. He will rule and reign in your heart. He will give you a touch of heaven, if you will, and bring to gain healing and restoration, wholeness and good news, freedom and victory. So when you get to the utter end of yourself and you've hit rock bottom, the Lord, you look up and there is the Lord ready to show you and reveal Himself to you, so that you can reign, He can rule and reign in your heart, and He can set you free, and He can bring your healing. He can be your restoration. He can give you a new heart. He can fill you with Your Holy Spirit. You can have sweet communion with Him. And you can know that He's the Lord of all things and that He can meet your needs, answer your prayers, and operate it in through your life. So all this sermon, you got to keep that in mind as you read the sermon, as it begins to, like a surgeon, almost deal with deep heart issues and sin issues in our heart and and make demands that, that seem almost impossible. You have to recognize that it begins at the beginning and it begins at the, for those but recognize their need of him. And that he's going to be the one who's going to operate in and through them. Now, Oswald Chambers put it like this. Maybe this will help. The uh, Sermon on the Mount is what your life will look like when Jesus is having his way in you. This has always stuck in my mind. Years ago, Sir Oswald Chambers wrote a little book called The Sermon on the Mount. And that phrase, that one sentence, has stuck in my mind ever since I've read it. Your, the Sermon on the Mount is what your life will look like When Christ is having his way in you and the way you start allowing him to have his way in you is for you to recognize your poverty of spirit, your bankruptcy of heart and your desperate need of him. So blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. So in a couple weeks, two weeks weeks from Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And so as we're approaching Lent, we're asking the Lord to deal in our hearts and we're asking uh, as a church, lead us, God, us, show us people's lives to touch. Lord, deal with us. Reveal to us our sin patterns and our selfishness that we don't see and that we're blind to. Set us free, Lord, so that your kingdom can rule and reign through us as individuals and as us as a church. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this word, just simple word, these simple sentence. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Lord, so work in our hearts and help us to see our neediness of you so that, Lord, we may experience the fullness of your kingdom. We pray in our hearts today in your blessed son's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.